Welcome to OSNAP, the official podcast of BOMSA, the British Orthopaedic Medical Students Association. Join our hosts for inspiring stories and personal reflections straight from the mouths of orthopaedic surgeons and trainees. Get inspired and start your orthopaedic career with OSNAP, your podcast for all things orthopaedics. There you go. If there's any patients listening from Woolwich right now uh, and you've got a dodgy hit, uh, you know who to blame. Yeah. As Kanye West once famously said. Guess what I'm like. Have you had dinner already? Or am I disturbing that as well? Yeah, no, 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 I've had dinner. Have you had a chance to have dinner yet? Yeah, I've just wolfed down a, uh, a steak and ale pie and uh, I'm ready to go. Oh, wow, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a very special guest today. Uh, Ms. Zara Jaffrey is a, an SD4 registrar on the very prestigious Percival Pot rotation at the Royal London Hospital. As a medical student, she studied at King's College London and Imperial, where she did a BSc in surgery and anesthesia. She spent four weeks working in Southeast Africa in Malawi with the World Health Organization in the Global Surgery Department and a year as a fellow at Guy's and St. Thomas's in surgical and simulation. She's an author of 20 research papers. Uh, and a frequent guest on podcasts and medical school social media accounts. She's a bit of an Instagram influencer herself. Her Instagram handle is z.orthodiaries. I'll put a link to that in the bio. During lockdown, she was a private hairdresser to her husband. She's also a professional henna artist and has an obscene amount of E45 hand cream. (laughs) And most impressively, uh, she actually ranked number one in the national selection for her number in trauma and orthopedics. So we have a very special guest indeed. Zara, welcome to the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, so the the henna thing, um, that's somebody putting henna on me. I am a terrible henna artist, by the way. So, yeah, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't say that. Getting number one in selection, though, that's that's amazing achievement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I always say I feel like I got really lucky because it was the one year where we didn't have interviews. And I, I am very nervous when I get interviewed. So I think that would have let me down. And it was probably fate that helped me along the way to get to, <laughs> get to that position. So, so you must have a very, very strong CV and, you know, you've ticked all the boxes. I mean, I mean, your introduction itself, uh, you have numerous, numerous achievements. What, what do you think motivates you to kind of do all these extracurricular activities alongside your training? I think uh, really from medical school, I found it quite hard to say no to things in terms of opportunities. Once people started saying that I'm working on this paper, do you want to help with it? Um, I did really want to get involved in a lot of things. And so uh, me saying yes to being on surgical societies, making contacts, uh, networking, going to conferences, all of that really helped. Um, And I actually, I didn't realise how much of it could then be put onto my application form. Um, So, you know, I think I didn't have a lot of medics in my family. So I think in hindsight, if somebody had told me this is what you need to do to get your get all the points on your application I probably could have saved myself some time and streamlined some of the stuff I did a lot of it I did because I was interested in it or um the thought that um you know this is something that I I'd be happy doing 
um, but not all of it was useful for the application actually. So I probably did a little bit more than I needed to, um, but I still had lots of fun along the way. So I think that's really what counts. So I'm guessing when it came to your uh, application for your training, do you feel like you were cherry picking the best stuff for your portfolio or did you just shove it all in there? I did. I did basically put put it all in there. Um, I think I had to take a few things out that I'd done in earlier years because I had um, sort of started streamline, streamlining a little bit from course surgical applications just because I had a better idea of how applications worked by that point. So, yeah. Are there any exciting projects you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so I actually was so interested in my uh, time in Malawi working on uh, building capacity. And um, so what I'm working on now is developing a course in open fracture management for the clinical officers who work in the more remote and rural parts of the country. Uh, and that's been a great project I've been doing for the last year. And we're currently still working on that at the moment. Is that like a global uh, project in terms of are you collaborating with that people with people globally over Zoom, or or is that very much a you project? You're kind of spearheading it yourself. No, there are there are definitely lots of people involved. We've we've managed to get lots of um, clinical officers involved to try and see what they would like to be taught. It's very much driven by them, and then we're kind of trying to put the things in place. Um, I'm working with a PhD student on it. Uh, his name is Alex Shade, um, and he's actually a trainee in orthopedics from the UK who is doing his PhD out there at the moment. And so, um, you know, we've been working together on this, and it, it's been a really good experience. Oh, amazing. We should get them on the podcast too at some point then. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'd be happy to. <laughs> so orthopedics, was it love at first sight or did you kind of gradually fall into it? Uh, I think it was a little bit serendipitous in that I one of the first theatres I ended up being in was a orthopedics hands list. And then I kept getting the chance to work with lots of different orthopedic surgeons through different placements and my BSc project and um, there was really nothing that put me off I just carried on doing it um, and then I, I did try to explore a few other specialties um, but I think that nothing really got me as interested as this one did. I fell in love it was ortho all the way. When you were at King's College uh, were you already looking at orthopedics or was it more looking at surgery as a whole? I I did want to keep an open mind so I think I was looking at surgery as a whole but I'd because uh, of my work experience at 16 that was my first orthopedics list actually um, and so I did always have it in the back of my mind that I think I want to go for orthopedics but let's see how the other specialties do um, and I, I don't think anything for me um, got Got, got me as interested as that did. Fractures of his femur, radius, ribs, and metacarpals. Okay, should we just uh, go ahead and reduce those hips? What was the uh, very first surgery you ever saw as a sixteen-year-old? I think they were well. They were doing a um, they were doing a fusion in the thumb joint just because a patient had uh, really severe arthritis that was pre was preventing them from carrying out their job properly. I think they were a hairdresser actually. Um, and I just really liked the fact that there was something that you could do to help people get back to what their normal functionality was, get back to their hobbies and get back to their jobs. And what was the first operation that you performed yourself? 
so for a long time, I think you, especially as a medical student, you end up doing incisions and closures. And so I think the first real orthopedic bit of surgery, apart from perhaps putting on the odd screw here or there, was um, doing a dynamic hip screw. Okay. Uh, which um, so, which hospital yeah, that, was that? That was probably the... Uh, that was at, I think it was one of, um, I think it was at Woolwich Hospital, actually. That was one of my patients as a medical student. Well, there you go. If there's any patients listening from Woolwich right now uh, and you've got a dodgy hip, uh, you know who to blame. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was supervised very well. so I, I, I joke, of course. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> just so, to cover my back. Just, just to cover your back. <laughs> so you, you finished your five years at King's. You did a year at Imperial. Mm-hmm. Was it Woolwich you went to as an F1, F2, or did you go somewhere else in the country? So for F1, F2, I was part of the South Thames Deanery. Um, so was in Medway and then St. George's. And then following that, I was in Kent, Surrey, Sussex. Um, and then I'm, I'm now in London. So I've, I've never really gone too far out. Mm. You, you like to be close to the capital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's worked out well because my family all live here, which is nice. So following foundation uh, years, did you go immediately into core training or did you take some time out? I did take a year out. Um, so what a lot of people are now calling an F3 year. Um, and that was when I did my year in surgical simulation at Advising St. Thomas's. And how was that? It was good. You know, it was, um, I think by the end of F2, I don't know if a lot of people feel the same, but I, I definitely felt quite burnt out. I uh, found it quite tough trying to do the MRCS exam and uh, having a full-time job and so uh, having that year of just a normal nine-to-five job with no on calls and um, being able to learn more about how to teach and practicing putting all of that theory into practice uh, that was all that was all um I think much needed it was a much needed break even though it wasn't a complete break I know a lot of people take that time to actually go on holidays and um to travel I and I did get the chance to do that just because the annual leave was a lot more flexible but whereabouts did you go found it it was um so what did I so a lot of the time it was trips to America actually because it was because my husband was working there at the time and so we were in this long distance relationship for a bit and so it was lots of trips back and forward for us. But then we also ended up um, going to parts of Europe for, uh, across that year as, we, as well, which was quite nice. Is your husband an orthopaedic surgeon as well, or is he doing a different specialty? No, he's doing something else. So he, he's mainly in the finance sector. So he was working in treasury and has now just gone into real estate investment. So, yeah, very different. Oh, far, far more interesting than medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Um, so you did your F3 uh, as a fellow. Did you get a teaching qualification out of that? I did, yeah. So um, because I was at Guys and St. Thomas's, as part of the uh, fellowship that I was doing there, they offered you um, almost a subsidiary to get a qualification in clinical education, the postgraduate certificate. And you do that through King's College London. And that's a fantastic thing to put on your portfolio and CV for when you do apply for a number, isn't it? Yes, definitely. That's a, that's uh, a whole section of the application and you get a point for an extra qualification in that area too. Do do doctors get a bursary from that, kind of like teachers do in the United Kingdom uh, when they 
do their P, uh, PDGC, uh, PGC, PGC qualification? Yeah, so um, as part of the F3 year, um, a lot of places are, that are offering teaching fellowships, they will subsidize it or fully pay for this kind of qualification. Um, so it's definitely something that it's worth looking into if you're interested in that. Oh, definitely. And it's yeah, good, good advice as well for the listeners of the podcast, uh, considering uh, their applications. So uh, you finished you finished your fellowship. Uh, did you go into core training after that or did you take some time out? Yeah, so I, uh, after that F3 year, I did go straight into core surgical training. Um, and, and my, yeah, my first placement was in uh, Darren Miley Hospital. And then the year after that was at Ashford and St. Peter's. And during that time, were you then set on orthopedics or did you uh, still explore the other surgical specialties? Um, so as part of CT1, we did have to do rotations in urology and general surgery, but I, I think I'd long before that decided it was going to be orthopedics. It was probably, I mean, I know I, it was in the back of my mind early on, but it was probably at medical school. It was really sort of solidified for me. Um, I didn't actually get to do a full clinical rotation in orthopedics until my CT1 year, though. And so that, that really cemented it for me. What was your exposure of orthopedics like at King's? I've got quite a lot of colleagues from there and they, I, th- I think it's in third year that you cover your, um, like your musculoskeletal module and they usually say it's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's, it's a great few weeks, but again, it's only a few weeks. So if you're trying to make a career choice, you've, you've really got to spend a lot of your own time going into the specialty and seeing if it's really for you. So I managed to, especially as part of my BSc, get into orthopedic theatres quite a bit um and see if this is something that I wanted to do and uh, you have to bear in mind that when you're doing the job as uh, a more junior doctor in your foundation years the job is very different to when you're going to be a registrar and a consultant and that's really where the majority of your time is going to be in those latter years you know a lot of people don't really enjoy the experience as a foundation doctor because it is a lot of admin um, but you know you really got to look to what will life be like for the majority of my time in the specialty and then take it from there and now you're kind of in that uh, home stretch of the journey really to consultancy uh, although mm-hmm. after you become a consultant you know you've got a whole lifetime of op- operating still to go and you are now an ST4 on the Percival pot rotation a very very prestigious very research based uh orthopedic rotation at the Royal London Hospital. Uh, it covers Great Ormond Street Hospital and uh, what else? Sorry, you're going to have to help me out with this one. <laughs> yeah, so um, it really covers uh, the whole north central to northeast part of the part of the city. So um, from north, you've got stat- places like Stanmore, the Royal National Orthopedic Hospital, to, as you mentioned, the Great Ormond Street Hospital for Pediatrics. And then right, right around coming down to um, east, you've got the Royal London Hospital, which is a major trauma centre where I am now. Um, but you can go further out to other DGHs uh, a little bit further east to uh, Whitechapel as well. I think the Whittington's part of it as well, because that's around the corner from where I live. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. One of the things I, I need to uh, kind of highlight is you are actually the only female surgeon that made it onto the personal pot rotation in your year co- cohort. Yes, I am. I'm a superstar. A superstar with a scalpel. Taurus. 
That's right. Yeah. So um, there. So actually, between ST three to eight, uh, for for the year that I joined, I was the only female in that entire rotation, um, because there was one other female before me who was an SDA and had just left the program um, after completing her exams, and so. I am happy to say, though, that um, now that I'm SC4, in our new cohort of SC3s, we've, we have a majority of females that have joined. I think we've got um, five total, uh, five in total SC3s, and then I think maybe three or four of them are, are female, which is quite nice because it just means that we've got, I've got a few more um, other females in, in the pot rotation as a whole. And alongside the pot rotation there's also the Royal London rotation uh, and for your cohort is am I right thinking there's another three or four uh, female surgeons doing that? Yeah so um, at the Royal London Hospital you do get um, trainees from other rotations so apart from personal pots you have the Royal London Hospital you also have trainees coming in from the UCLH rotation and Stanmore as well because these are the four training programs that are part of North Central and East so you do there is a lot of overlap um, so yes um, there are a lot more female trainees uh, amongst um, those rotations as a whole um, and then as a result at the Royal London you will get a mix of trainees from those rotations and as a result um, more female trainees there as well that way. But you know, despite being the strongest candidate, you know, I need to highlight this again, the strongest candidate in all of the United Kingdom. And when I win the Harper Avery and every other prize there is, you will rule the state, Chief Weber. You know, what an amazing feat. Did you feel like you faced a lot of adversity um, as a young woman doctor interested in orthopedic surgery and pursuing that as a career choice? I think there was... Uh... I mean, I, I feel like I, again, I'm quite lucky in that. I don't know if I would have been the strongest candidate if interviews had gone ahead because everyone has very different strengths. Um, and like I said, I think I was very good at um, getting my CV looking quite strong and putting in the hard work in that sense. And I, I know I worked hard for it, so I would never try to sort of negate what I've done. But I know that um, if, if interviews had gone ahead that year, um, then I may not have been the strongest candidate, and I'm I'm very um, I'm very open with myself about that. Um, and I, I, I just need to yeah, I just need to quickly interrupt and say that uh, Miss Jaffrey here is being very humble. She's come onto this podcast to spew lies. I'm, I'm sure she would have absolutely smashed it. Oh, I don't know. Well, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? Isn't it? You can't really like, you can't really say because it hasn't happened. So um, I think we'll just leave that at that, I guess. As Kanye West once famously said. Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Yeah, exactly. I guess we'll have a look. No, I, I am very grateful, though, that um, I did well and I was able to just pick a rotation that I wanted and um, I'm very lucky to be where I am. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, but to, just to come back to your question about adversity, um, I don't, I think a lot of people have had it quite tough in, in terms of being a woman trying to do orthopedics. Um, 
I've ha- I've had a lot of um, support from my family and my friends that whenever I was um, I did come across a comment from someone saying, "Are you sure you want to do the specialty? You don't seem like you have the right personality for it." Um, then you know, I, there were lots of people I could speak to and uh, a lot of the time I would just get told to ignore all of that and just carry on with what I wanted to do. And so that is what I did. And um, I'm lucky that I had all of those people around to tell me. Otherwise, I think it's quite it's quite easy to be put off when all you get is negativity. Within that sea of negativity, though, uh, obviously you've got the positivity from your uh, friends and family. Do you feel like any of your mentors or colleagues at work also uh, spurred you along uh, to the place where you are now? Oh yeah, definitely. But I I would always advocate for looking for your own mentors because you are assigned your own educational supervisors, your clinical supervisors. You may not get as much of a choice in terms of um, those people. Um, But, you know, I I had a lot of mentors in less formal roles um, who, who were great and really inspirational. Um, so, you know, if you feel like you're not getting the support from people in the, under formal titles, like your supervisors, always just go out and find someone who you think um, would be more encouraging, I think. I guess, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of good news as well for the listeners. The landscape is changing and it is encouraging to see that there is an increasing amount of female trainees, uh, an increasing amount of non-male trainees, not just females, obviously people who don't identify with a gender. Um, you know, yourself, you are a graduate of King's College of London. Um, I've recently spoken to a colleague at that university and uh, he told me that actually uh, the trauma and orthopedic society there is predominantly led by women this year. President, VP, uh, a lot of the officers are all uh, female medical student colleagues who are highly motivated in pursuing orthopedic surgery to follow in your footsteps, of course. Yeah, no, I was I was really happy to see that. And um, this is the first year they've set up uh, King's College London Women in Surgery Society as well. And I was, I was amazed to see that too. And, um, you know, I would have loved to have things like that uh, when I was around. And actually, when I was part of the Surgical Society, interestingly, uh, back when I was a medical student, the majority were female then. Um, but I actually, when I was part of the Trauma and Orthopaedic Society then, I think I was one of the only girls as part of the society then. So I'm really happy to now see that we've got the majority there. The landscape is changing, slowly but yeah. surely. Yeah, definitely. So I, I guess finally, what advice would you give your give our female medical student colleagues in regards to pursuing orthopaedics as a career? So I think one of the main barriers um, to becoming an orthopaedics surgeon for women and this is something I worried about a lot myself is really trying to get that work-life balance and um, you do as a woman have to make a decision do I want children do I not Um, and lots of people decide they don't a lot of people decide they do and so that decision really shouldn't influence your career choice Uh, and I I stand by that um, even though it's easier said than done Um, the thing is, is that the system that we're in doesn't always make that easy. And that's what puts people off. Um, So, but, you know, I I think a lot is being done now to change the system, to allow people who want to have a family to get into the specialty. So there is part 
part-time training um you know there there is maternity leave and um a lot of other things like that in place and i just um i think that if you i feel like all medical specialties are quite tough um it's not easy a lot of people think that going through a run through program like uh, radiology or doing a shorter program like gp uh, training is is an easier way out but actually you've got exams you still have to try and do a lot to keep continuing continually developing yourself as a professional within those specialties and so it's it's hard work all around and so you may as well be doing a specialty that you enjoy rather than settling for something you think or perceive might be a little bit easier on a work-life balance um so that's definitely a piece of advice i would give is that don't feel like you need to change your career choice based on what you would like to do outside of work because there are there is more around you now that's allowing you to have the best of both worlds and i met one of your colleagues kat malik uh, the other day in clinic and she's done an amazing job of balancing uh family life she's had three kids uh, and is well on her way to consultancy, isn't she? Kat Malik, I don't know where she is in her training, actually. But she's she's done such a great job of it. She's completely inspirational. Uh, she has three children and is, um, you know, working as an orthopedic trainee at the moment. And um, it really helps to see people doing this job um, and having the type of life you might want for yourself as well. And I think what's stopped people in the past is not having seeing those people there and thinking okay if they aren't there it just must not be easy to do and so I, I've probably got to pick something else and do that instead. So before we wrap up this uh, podcast episode I would like to leave you with a little segment we are doing so kind of like top gear you know we've got our surgeon in our reasonably priced car uh, except our reasonably priced car or question in actual fact is if you were a surgical instrument what would it be? why god i thought you were gonna ask me about a car for a second and i was like i don't know anything about this <laughs> um but a surgical instrument what would i be um i think i would be diathermy just because it's got me out of a lot of sticky situations in the past probably diathermy yeah are, are you are you a bit of a fiery person as well in your personal life oh no not at all i just feel like it would um I feel like I, I, I'm good at damage control though. So yeah, let's let's go with that. Damage control, brilliant. And on that bombshell, it's time to end. Thanks for watching. Good night. Miss Jaffrey, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. I sure have. Uh, if you guys are interested in getting in contact with us, our email is contact at bombset.org.uk. Check out our website, bombset.org.uk and follow us on Instagram, uh, underscore UK. If you guys would like to see more of uh, Ms. Zara Jaffrey, her Instagram is z.orthodiaries, link in the bio. See you soon. OSNAP is the official podcast of the British Orthopaedic Medical Students Association. However, all thoughts, ideas and shitty dad jokes are our own and they are not necessarily representative of the organisation. If you do have any concerns about any content discussed, please do reach out to us. Please, for the love of God, don't sue us. <laughs> Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want.